Welcome to the F-Sharp Podcast, presented by Harmony Wealth, a podcast geared to educate you on all things financial. Co-hosts Tanner Bortnam and Adam Henning discuss various financial topics presented in a consumable and entertaining manner. Tanner is a certified financial planner, JD, and financial expert, while Adam is a marketing professional and small business owner. It's time to harmonize. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to episode 44 of the Financially Sharp podcast, a podcast geared to educate you on all things financial. I'm Adam Henning, joined as always with co-host, uh, co-host Tanner Bortnum, certified financial planner, uh, JD, and uh, financial industry expert. Um, if you haven't yet, please like and subscribe to the, the podcast. Um, if you're listening uh, in audio form, um, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, hit click the bell and subscribe as well. If you have any uh, questions, um, email us at podcast at financiallysharp.com. That's podcast at financiallysharp.com. Uh, this episode, Obviously, a little bit different. Uh, we probably sound a little different if you're just listening to us um, in podcast form. Um, but if you're watching us on YouTube, you can clearly tell it's a little bit different. Uh, 44 episodes in, and we are finally in the same room. What woot? Woot woot. So, um, full disclosure, we're on kind of a mini vacation. So, I thought it would be a good opportunity to uh, sit down and actually have a, a conversation in the same room. So, um, this episode, we're going to take a, a lot of the questions that we fielded over um, the last couple months and uh, just have a, a, a pretty relaxed form uh, episode and just uh, address those questions that we've um, had come into the, the email box. So Sounds lovely. It's going to be not really rapid fire, but we'll, we've got a number of questions and um, kind of retouches a lot of the episodes and we'll point back um, to where uh, we addressed some of these questions in previous episodes. So you ready? Fire away. Right on. So uh, first question um, would be, uh, how do you determine the appropriate level of risk while investing? And this is something we touched in episode 19. Sure. Um, episode was called volatility. So uh, I'll let Tanner answer here. How do you determine the appropriate level of risk while investing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a, very good question from you know one of our listeners. Um, we did touch on it a little bit, but just kind of recapping it, it's really going to depend on you know the person's age, how they view risk. Uh, for my clients, I I send out a risk questionnaire. Uh, it's a quiz that they take. Uh, goes through, asks a bunch of various questions to find a speed limit sign somewhere between zero and a hundred how fast they want to drive, so to speak. And then that's a good comparison for us to know or to start with. Um, you know, sometimes you have clients that want to drive super fast and they don't need to. Sometimes you have clients want to drive super slow and they also might not need to. They might need to you know, drive a little faster. And so it's, I think starting with that's probably the best thing to do. Start with that questionnaire and then you can implement that into your financial plan to see can I drive this speed? Do I need to pick it up? Um, or am I driving too fast and don't need to take this risk? We will get there by driving slower and more safely. We'll try to spend only a couple of minutes on each question just so we yeah. get things along. But what are some of the variables that go into that test that help determine that speed limit? Yeah, uh, your age, again, where you're at in regards to your financial plan. I mean, if you're 
already very well on your way and you have a high probability of success, you likely don't have to drive as fast. If you waited to start investing uh, throughout your lifetime, you might need to drive a little faster, try to mm. speed it up. Younger people tend to have a higher risk tolerance because they have a longer time frame before retirement. The closer you get to retirement, um, you, know, you want to start bringing that down. Interesting. So that's uh, linked on your website if you wanted to take that, or is that yeah. uh, just something that you do uh, onboarding? Yeah, uh, I, we do have the link on the website. People can take that, um, but also it's it's definitely anytime a new uh, person becomes a client of mine, it's part of our onboarding process. Yeah. I'll try to remember to link that. Sure. <laughs> in the YouTube video, and it'll be somewhere on the, the screen here or in the description. So uh, we'll get a link to that if you're interested in that. Uh, moving on, second mailbag question. Um, this is kind of a question that would be pertaining to me as a small business owner. As a small business owner, what are some of the best ways or some of your favorite ways, easy ways to optimize a tax strategy? Other, another good question. Um, obviously, we're not going to get into everything with that. There's so many different ways. Um, hopefully, you have a CPA. They can help with some of the more minute um you know, deductions, vehicles, home office, you know, potential utilities, different things like that. Uh, the one that I like implementing for clients who have small businesses is um, a retirement plan. Mm. So typically we will, you know, there's a SEP, there's simple um, retirement plans, and then there's the 401k. We've been doing a lot of the 401ks, particularly for small businesses who don't have employees other than themselves or their spouse. If, if this is you and you're in this situation, creating a solo 401k is hands down the best thing you can do because you will be able to put money in not only as the employee, but then also as the business. And so you can kind of double dip there mm -hmm. and all of that money can then be deducted via you know, business tax return or your personal return and really help pull that income down so you're paying a lot less in taxes. So, yep, definitely look into a retirement plan. Yeah, and that's just one of the many ways to... Yeah, but it's my favorite. I mean, it's yep. it's one of the biggest bang for your bucks, definitely. And and you're saving for retirement, right? Like, it's, it's a double win. You save on taxes and save for retirement. I mean, good it's things. like a cheat code. Basically. Business. Yeah. Any good thing. Yep. All right, very good. Third, third question, uh, and this one way back, episode six, building blocks of personal finance, kind of one of those um, foundational questions. Like, what is step one of a financial plan? Um, and I, 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 I kind of know the answer to your or your answer to this question, um, but I want to frame it in this way. So. Do you start at the beginning with just developing a plan? I think that's going to be your answer. Or do you start at the end goal of what you want your retirement to look like? Where you want to get to? Sure. What's step one? Step one is starting at the beginning. Okay. Um, yeah. I think the most important thing to do right away, like if you literally haven't done anything, is to have a very in-depth analysis and honest analysis of where you are. Don't sugarcoat things. Don't make debt look better than it is. Don't make your income look better than it is. If you are estimating 
estimate on the side of being conservative rather than, you know, aggressive. Um, really, really look into that. And then I'll, I'll kind of give the next couple steps because I know you alluded to going to the end piece. So I would say step one is that analyze where you are. Then step two would be well, where do you want to get to? Mm. And then step three is do you need help from someone to achieve that? Those are kind of the big three right away. And so you just lay out your budget if you have one and just lay out all your yeah. income expenses. And yep. then everything. I mean, basically treat your your situation like a business would do. You know, right. get a income statement, get a cash flow statement, know, you know, your budget, where where is where's all the money going? How much are we saving every month? Um, and really, really hone in on that, at least at the start. You know, some of my clients stay very, very vigilant, know where every penny is. Some clients, they're within a few hundred bucks. I don't really mind as long as we have an idea of where we're at. Do you find that easier with um, specifically uh, partners if if that meeting occurs with you present or is it better for them to do it privately and then come to, to you as a financial planner or is it just easier um, to be truly, truly honest with a third party um, there to not to expose things, but just sure. to, to be honest, like you said, the yeah. honest analysis of it. Um. I haven't seen too much of a difference between that, uh, just from an efficiency standpoint. I typically have, um, you know, new clients do that because it's a lot of data gathering. You know, you got to log in to all of your subscriptions, sure. Netflix, Hulu, this, you know, check all your bank accounts, you know, credit card statements, all of that, compile it. So it it does take some time. So typically that's kind of a homework thing. And then we bring it back and we can look at it. Um, and then, yeah, going through it there, uh, I always obviously ask questions. What is this? Oh, did we, I, I don't see anything from this category. You know, did we not think of that? You know, sure. whatever. So we can make sure we have it as accurate as possible. Again, episode six, building blocks, of personal finance for that. Um, been a couple of years ago with that one. So uh, yeah. early on in the, the, the era or the the episode or the podcast so next question do you have any suggestions on how to maximize credit card rewards while not causing debt issues another <laughs> kind of budgetary uh, question there for you yeah yeah and one and i like this one just because i feel like there's kind of two camps that i always hear there's either people who you know go the dave ramsey route and are like credit cards are evil and you know, we can only use cash and a debit card and, and those types of things. And, and I don't think that's right um, or, or correct. But also by utilizing credit cards, we have to acknowledge the risk you can get yourself into if you aren't, you know, diligent paying it off every month. So step number one is pay it off every month. I mean, don't put more on there than you can pay. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're not doing that, and you're always paying that off completely. Again, not just a minimum payment that they allow you to do. If you have $5,000 on your credit card, you need to pay the $5,000 off every month. Um, and if you can get into that habit of continuing to do that every single month, then credit cards are actually a really great thing to have. They are more secure mm -hmm. than a debit card. Yep. 
you know, someone steals my debit card information, they have access to my bank account and can drain it. Absolutely. Maybe I get some of that money back. Maybe I don't. Credit card. I call up Visa, say I didn't do this. They say, okay, sorry. And it's gone. Um, so they're more secure. And then also with the rewards, you don't get rewards for paying in cash or paying in a debit card. Whereas, you know, there's cash back rewards or there's, if you like to travel, you know, that's what we have out of Phoenix. We have the American cards. We get American airline points, you know, throughout the year, maybe we get come up and to the Midwest on a free trip or sure. something just because we've, yeah. you know, accumulated enough points. Yeah. So they can be very beneficial. Big key though is always have to pay them off. Don't get yourself in trouble. Yep. Speaking of credit, uh, credit scores. Uh, next question. How do I improve my credit score? Does it, and does it matter? <laughs> um, Let's take the second half of that first. Does a credit score matter? This might be a hot take uh, that most people won't expect, but no, I, I, I think credit scores are a complete joke. Um, the only time a credit score matters is if you're trying to buy a house or a car to get a loan, right? It's the only time it matters. Um, I'll use myself and my wife as an example. We have our two vehicles, we have our home, don't foresee any more loans coming up. I really don't care what my credit score is right now because sure. it's just a number that floats around that you get benefited by doing something, but then also slightly bur you know, hit because of the same thing. It's just, it's an archaic way of measuring whether someone can pay something back. Now I understand it's still being used. So if you're in the process or wanting to buy a home or get a loan, it matters. Any other time than that, doesn't matter. You know, most of my clients who are in retirement, their home is paid off or, or, or they have a mortgage, mm -hmm. they already have it. You know, don't really, aren't worried about vehicle loans. So if there's no more loans that we're expecting to have, I don't care if my client's credit score is 825 or if it's 500, like it doesn't matter. Um, now to how to improve it if it is if you are trying to you know get a home or wanting to get a home it's really hard when you're young because the one of the main factors is just time yeah well you can't speed right. up time yeah. so the one you can control is don't ever make a late payment pay everything off on time always um those are the big ones and then if you do have you know some outstanding debt paying some of that down can help because it one of the factors is just how much your income is to the amount of debt that you have. And sure. so if you can lower some of that, mm -hmm. it'll, it, it could bump you up a little bit. But one of the biggest ones is time. Yeah. Um, so if you are a young person, yep. it's, when you're 18 or whatever, just open that credit line, be responsible, establish it. Right. And, it and again, why I think it's so, so silly is you get penalized for just for being young because you don't have that time, but yet, they also want you to keep, you know, bank account. Well, what if you have a credit union account and you moved? Well, that credit union isn't in your new state, but theoretically you should keep it open because if you close it, you have 10 years worth mm. of time that goes away. And that's just like, that's just ridiculous. People shouldn't be almost required to keep old accounts open. They don't want anymore solely so that their credit doesn't get hit. Like it's yeah. just, it's just dumb, but it is what we're dealing with. So that's how they calculate it. 
Interesting. All right, moving on to uh, question six. What uh, what are some strategies to maximize Social Security benefits? This pertains to episode 30. Sure. Um, there's not a ton that you can do. Uh, the first factor is, is your income. So they take the highest 40 quarters. So if you can obviously raise your income or um, if you're looking to retire early, you know, checking in on what your highest 40 quarters would be so that maybe you make sure that you don't have a few quarters being counted where you have some really low income, something like that. Um, so that would be a way on the front end to try to help boost uh, your social security. And then once you're at social security age of 62, the longer you delay taking it will increase your monthly payments. So those are really kind of the, the two only ways to, to increase, increase your benefit. All right, moving on. Uh, another one pertaining to that uh, age group, maybe. Okay. Um, or if you're a younger listener, you might have parents that are um, approaching this uh, age for this question. But what is Medicare spend down and how do I avoid losing all my assets or a parent's assets to the nursing home? Very good question. <clears throat> um, few ways. So, um, Let's, I'm just trying to kind of piece through that, that question. So let's start with what is Medicare, Medicaid, not Medicare, it'll be Medicaid spend down. So Medicare, I'll just kind of go over this real quick. Medicare is the health insurance that everyone gets at 65. Medicaid is insurance based on your income and assets. So basically to have the government start paying for all of your health care. Sure. Um, the question is around basically if, if a person would need to go into the nursing home or some sort of high-end care, long-term care, without losing everything to pay for said long-term care, I presume, correct? Is yep. that how you yep. read it? Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a few ways. One, you can look into some long-term care insurance and have that set up ahead of time. Now, it is extremely expensive and usually is not the best route to go because it's extremely expensive, but that would be an option. Um, the other option is Medicaid has a five-year look back, so you can start transferring assets, gifting assets to the next generation. And then as long as you do not go on Medicaid within those five years, those assets are deemed outside of it. So you could, you know, give the family farm to the kids. And then as long as you didn't need Medicaid within the next five years, you're good. So that happens at age 60? No, Medicaid is only based upon when you need it and oh, okay. and when you so so basically with that analogy it would be give the family farm to the kids then you know mom and dad or, or grandma grandpa have to wait five years before they would be allowed to file for medicaid based on income and assets and some people are never going to get around it like if you have a pension you're going to have enough income that you're not going to be allowed to be. So it's, it's based on income and then it assets. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And it's not a one thing to clarify because everyone 
most everyone I've ever heard is like, you know, I don't want the nurse to come to take the business or take my house. And it's like, well, you know, like Happy Gilmore, right? Mm -hmm. They're taking the house. Well, they don't actually take the house. What it is, is they just say, Medicaid says, we're not paying for you because you have the assets here to pay for yourself. Sure. We all hate that because we don't want to have to give that up, but it is accurate, right? Like if you have a million dollars in stocks, you have money to pay for your own health care. You shouldn't be going on the government. And basically what they're saying is, is you got to get, have gifted that five years prior to us helping you, mm -hmm. so to speak. So high level estate planning, make sure you go see an attorney on that one. There you go. Might be uh, worthwhile to dig deeper into that one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Future. That so. could that could for sure be a whole episode. Here's a, a lighter one. A lighter question. All right. Uh, besides finding your why, what other podcasts or books um, would you recommend? Um, podcast wise. I don't listen to a ton. One I do listen to kind of sporadically uh, is by Michael Kitsis. Um, he has some really good information. Um, I can't even remember what his podcast is called, but if you look at him up, he's he's very well known. Um, and will his podcast would come up? Ner Nerd's Eye View, something like that. Instead of Bird's Eye, I think it's Nerd's Eye View. Sure. Um, has a lot of good info, but it but very detailed. You know, so a lot of stuff may not apply to people. Um, books, besides which one? Finding, Finding your, why. your why. Well, we have teased this other one out before, so I'll throw it out there. But uh, Think Again by Adam Grant, amazing, amazing book for sure. Um, Listen to audio book and holy cow, just yeah. a general approach to life. I think. Just oh, and, so and just how you think, yeah, chapter by chapter, yeah, you know, and just to give everybody a you know a little uh, teaser on it, basically it's it's training ourselves to look at the same situation we've already think we know, and just trying to rethink it because it e either will confirm, yeah, we're still on the right track, or maybe I need to review this a different way and come at it and you know and, and think of it from a different angle, and basically try to be a scientist, always challenge. Mm -hmm yourself and your thoughts because the goal should be ensuring the truth not ensuring that we're right right yeah going through it the first time i would listen to it again is a lot of it helped me with just trying to um, identify when i had unconditional bias oh um, for sure recency bias all yeah. the different biases that we naturally because we all have them is, we all have um, them. yeah and actually like just taught me how to interact, but communicate better, uh, lead a, mm -hmm. a lot better. Um, and it, a lot of tools that you can better equip yourself with. It's yeah. just a fantastic, I mean, just chapter by chapter, you don't even have to read the book. You can just <laughs> cherry pick certain chapters yeah. and they're just phenomenal pieces of information. So, all right, yeah. uh, a couple more here. Okay. Um, biggest red flag to look for when choosing a financial advisor. This pertains to episode three of uh, top five things to find or look for when you're searching for a financial advisor. So what are some red flags? Oh, well, okay. Yeah. I was going to say some, that's, that's different. The question was biggest. That's where I'm, well, I'm just trying and that's okay. 
I'm trying to, I'm trying to piece through because we've you know talked about numerous things. I would say. I always think of. I always want to say what I think. Sure, you're yeah, say. go ahead. Do it. Let's right. see it. I think you're going to say is identify how they're being paid. That actually is. Yeah. Um, I was trying to determine that or doing like a broker check. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that would be the first one because even if you don't have any complaints filed against you, you can still be doing what I don't like, which is taking commissions, right? Yeah. Like don't put yourself between your money and your client. And that's what commissions do. So to me, I would, yeah, I would say that. Now, again, that doesn't mean they're a bad advisor. Right. I want to clarify that. But to me, if the advisor takes a commission, based on where we are in today's financial industry, when you can have any investment you want, not include a commission. So the fact that they're still choosing to charge a commission, that to me, I think, it should be the biggest red flag, followed very, very closely by um, doing a broker check and if there are any complaints okay. filed against them. Yeah. And you can just file that anytime or look up a broker check? Well, yeah. If you, if you, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's on, the, it's actually brokercheck.org. It's run by FINRA or the SEC, depending upon the advisor where they fall. But, yep. Like Google review. <laughs> yep. I mean, basically it is. Yeah. So it's, you know, any, any complaint. Now, again, it's, I want to throw this out there. I'm not sticking up for people that have complaints by any means. It's not a Google review where, you know, mainly people complain. Sure. You have to be pretty mad. Not pretty, not pretty. You have to be very mad to file a complaint that then gets lodged with FINRA. Cause it's, it's a quite a bit of work on a, client to do you know to do that so it's very serious especially if you see multiple of it like a similar thing but that's one that i i would be shocked if 20 percent of people do a broker check on on their advisor before signing up with with uh the advisor mm -hmm. and it's out there and it's free huh. yep yep last one Okay. Biggest mistake you see when it comes to personal finance? <laughs> These absolutes are killing me. Um, God dang. I would say trying to time the market. Thinking you can do that. I, I, I get that a lot um, of people, you know, asking or saying, well, you know, should we be investing now versus six months ago? And let's look, well, I can make that analogy or analysis right now, but you can't say, well, should we invest now or wait six months? I, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like people get it, fall into that trap a lot because it, it kind of also follows the, the FOMO, right? That we've talked about fear of missing out. So people are trying to time it because it can only go up or they're trying to sell everything and go to cash. And it's like statistics show, just keep putting your money in at regular intervals and then just let it, let it do its thing. And yeah. you will significantly 
outperform people trying to time the markets because people have to consistently time the markets, which is again, statistically been proven almost impossible to do. And you got to hit every single time. So just make do it less. easy. Yeah basically, yeah, basically. And that's what it is, is it's, you know, it, I, there's a lot of complex things in financial planning and financial advising and investing and all of that, but it, it also isn't so complex that we need to be doing something all the time. You know, it, it's, it can be boiled down to just have a good plan and stick to it, you know, and, and keep questioning, keep thinking about the plan and maybe you, you know, tweak the plan a little bit based on some emergency coming up or this or that. But like, you know, these big swings of moving all my money to crypto or all putting a bunch of money in GameStop or, you know, all the fear of missing outs or the, well, the markets are high enough. So let's go to all the cash. And, you know, you just, you, you always are going to miss the big opportunity. Right on. So. Well, that's all the uh, questions we have. All had. right. So anything right. else you want to add before we uh, no. check out? Um, no, I mean, other than to our listeners, that, that was actually super fun um, to go through those. So please keep sending in, uh, you know, more questions to us. You know, we'll keep compiling them. And, and uh, when we get another 10, 15 or whatever it is uh, like these, we'll, we'll do another one. But um, hopefully, I thought that was super fun. In person, maybe it's because yeah. we're in. The well, same. I think it helps being in person, but it's nice to, you know, like, you know what the questions were, but this was... Yeah. I was able to just kind of candidly, yep. yeah, just chat. Whereas you know, most of our other episodes, we have stuff prepared. So this is nice. Very good. Well, that's been episode forty-four. Again, if you haven't yet already, please like, subscribe, leave us a review uh, wherever you're listening or watching. Hit subscribe if you have any questions that we didn't uh, address in this mailbag for next time uh, that you want Tanner to answer. Uh, shoot us an email at podcast at financiallysharp.com. That's podcast at financiallysharp.com. For Tanner, I'm Adam. You will see us and hear us in the next episode. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast does not engage in rendering legal, tax, financial, or other professional services. Investment advisory services are offered through Harmony Wealth, a registered investment advisor authorized to do business in states where registered or otherwise exempt from registration. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please contact Harmony Wealth at 602-935-5155 or at HarmonyWealthAZ.com.